Welcome to Running on Ice, the coolest community in Freight. I'm your host, Sydney Edwards, bringing you the latest tech updates, warehouse news, everything happening in the cold chain world. Now, if you know my show, Running on Ice, then you know my newsletter, Running on Ice. I write this every Wednesday and Friday, covering much of the same things that we talk about here on the show. So before we get into our guest of the evening, let's get into some headlines. Now, Emergent Cold Latin America continues to grow its portfolio, this time with the distribution center in Recife, Brazil. BusinessWire reports this being the second investment the company has made in Northeast Brazil. The new facility will span over 204,000 square feet, and that space will allow for 18,500 pallet positions. CEO Neil Ryder says Brazil is the largest Latin America market with high protein production and demand. This, this distribution center will increase connectivity to companies looking for better access to international markets. The managing director of Emergent Cold Latam's South Cone region says this is a move that shows long-term commitment to customers. The company currently has 24 cold storage facilities with a fleet of over 500 trucks. With three facilities currently under construction, Emergent Cold Latin America has a footprint in nine countries throughout Latin America. And B&G Foods is helping give back to people in need through a partnership with America's Grow a Row. B&G says AGAR grows fruits and vegetables and then donates that product to communities that do not have reliable access to fresh and affordable foods. Under this partnership, B&G will donate $250,000 to the AGAR nonprofit, and that money will go towards the planting, growing, and distribution of 1.25 million servings of produce. B&G employees will also have the opportunity to harvest some of that produce that will be donated to areas where B&G Foods has manufacturing or distribution centers. Now, this helps align the company with their philanthropic mission. The company says that this partnership will also help fund educational programs that will include cooking demonstrations and a day on the farm experiences. AGAR president and founder Chip Palix says this donation of 2.5 million pounds of produce is, happens every year. They donate that much to people in need. And Ammon World is expanding operations with plans for a 250,000-square-foot facility. Now, this California build is funded by New York-based Excalibur Capital. According to the business journal, Excalibur is providing $52 million total, $35 million coming from the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Food Supply Chain Program, and $17 million through the Commercial Property Assessed Clean Energy Program of California. This money will go towards the first phase of construction plans that include one building that they hope to have open in April 2023. Once that building is operating, Almond World plans to begin construction on a second building. They have secured a similar amount of funding for that build already. This project aims to help farmers in the area preserve their almond crops after they have been harvested. Now let's get to the good stuff. Today I'm joined by Greg Tuthill, the CCO of CQ. Greg, it's so great to have you on. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thank you very much for having me, and I'm delighted to uh, participate in your show. Thank you so much. And so I haven't had you on yet. I'd love on yet. I'd love to hear a bit about your background before joining CQ. Sure. I have about uh, 33 years of ocean container experience. Uh, started out um, with American President Lines and have been with various companies since. 
uh, in operating roles, marketing roles, pricing roles, and trade management roles, um, all at the executive level. And then I joined C-Cube, the um, fifth largest container leasing company, uh, almost five years ago. Uh, we have a, um, a niche market. We focus on refrigerated container leasing, uh, one of the largest purchasers and investors in refrigerated containers, and also um, expand into other asset leasing uh, units as well. Did you have the CCO title when you first started at C-Cube, or did you work into that title? I was hired as the chief commercial officer, uh, primarily just because of my background and my experience level in the container uh, shipping arena. Perfect. Now, when I was talking with your team before we had this interview, they brought a few statistics to the table that truly surprised me, to be honest. Um, We, of course, knew that food imports were on the rise, but I guess I didn't realize how much and how many U.S. imports were. 75% of U.S. fruits and vegetables were going to be imported by 2027, I believe, is the year. I feel like that's a crazy amount. Yeah, it, the, uh, it's astonishing in terms of the growth uh, related to the imports of perishable commodities. And it's uh, primarily, you know, a, a driver from uh, outsourcing more foodstuffs, uh, most, mostly on the perishable side of the business. But if you think about it, there's more uh, pressure on regional growth regions. Um, there's also a lot more outsourcing due to commodities that are more specialized in the uh, perishable commodity segment. So, you know, if you go back to the early 70s, I think we've only had, we only were kind of running at about 20% imports in terms of the perishable commodity segments. And now to your point, you know, we're almost up to the uh, mid 70 percentile range in terms of what we import. Um, certainly there's also some exports, but uh, as we continue to see the population growth um, expand in, in many regions, uh, we're starting to see a proliferation and expansion in food outsourcing. Um, In addition to that, one catalyst for some of the growth is the technology related to having successful outcomes in moving perishable commodities um, from longer um, distances and and those uh, moves that are longer transit-related type um, uh, transport moves. So I think we'll continue to see this expansion take place, and I think we'll start to see some additional expansion into other regions as we go forward. I think you touched on this, but maybe let's dive a little bit deeper on what the key factors uh, are when it comes to growth of the cold chain and and cargo transportation in general. Yeah, I I mentioned uh, probably the first and foremost, which is the population growth. So as we continue to see uh, the population expand in in, uh, many, many, many areas, uh, that will naturally go ahead and translate into uh, refrigerated transportation growth. So you know, unlike many other segments, um, for instance, just like the consumer segment, which is tied to cyclical demand, um, food sourcing is much more resilient and much more consistent in terms of growth just because of the uh, requirement to go ahead and move food products to various areas. Um, the other thing that's a, a big catalyst to the expansion in food outsourcing related to refrigerated container movements is the um the trend to move to healthier diets. And as we see this trend continue, we're seeing some additional outsourcing take place for specialty commodities, which um, certainly is starting to show on some of the statistics. Um, The other thing that we're seeing that uh, is a big piece of some of the transport in the refrigerated segment is seafood farming, which is starting to really proliferate and become a little bit more pervasive as we go forward. So 
there's a lot of things that are continuing to um, contribute to the expansion and the growth rates within the commodity segment uh, tied to perishables and refrigerated um, container movements. You mentioned specialty items for diets. I guess I would personally think cheese and milks that are pretty trendy right now, that trend growing maybe in the future. And you also mentioned seafood farming. And I'm, I know we've all heard, was it king crab, snow crab, crab in general, that they had to stop farming out in Alaska? Yeah, I am not, um, I'm not that familiar with that particular um, topic, but I, I would say this, um, that if you think about the fish stocks in the um, global areas, I think, we're, I think we're depleted in 13 out of the 15 fishing regions. So that depleted fish stock is certainly attributing to the expansion in uh, sustainable fish farming. And I say that because I think there's been a lot of improvement in terms of the fish farming industry relative to new techniques, methodologies, and also processes that are tied back into sustainability. So I think we're going to continue to see that. And I think that um, that particular arena will continue to probably grow at a faster rate than some other um, commodity segments. Absolutely. And as we talk about ocean carriers, what might be some of their top priorities when it comes to you know technology and, and maybe some near-term goals? Yeah, the biggest, I think the biggest priority right now is uh, technology uh, related to refrigerated containers. And for a couple of reasons, one, um, there's going to be a real emphasis and priority on decarbonization goals and targets. That's going to be driven from IMO regulations. The EU also has some regulations that will be certainly <clears throat> implemented. And to be compliant with that, there's going to have to be decarbonization audits and also scorecards that are tied back into how those carriers are doing relative to some of the compliance, um, some, some of the compliance regulations that will be certainly uh, on the forefront of uh, their agendas. So technology one will be used for decarbonization um, target uh, compliance. The other is I think that the technology advancements have allowed carriers to really expand their market share and also their reach by allowing them to go ahead and source from further distances and having longer transits with uh, much more um, success in terms of viable and uh, positive outcomes. So, um, for instance, I think, you know, you know, many, many years ago, I think a 12 day transit, 13 or 15 day transit would be the norm. And that would be certainly within the range of success in terms of moving products. Um, now, I think we can get into 27, 30 day type transits and still have successful outcomes uh, due to some of the technology that's available. And when you mention this type of technology, I'm assuming temperature monitoring, um, of course, better refrigeration systems and, and, and stuff like that. Is there anything else that comes to mind maybe that you find interesting aside part of C-Cube's technology that you think is maybe one of the leading innovators? Yeah, I think the basic you know, data sets that are becoming available, um, everyone's pretty much aware of, which is location, humidity, temperature control. Um, but the other piece that I think is starting to really um, expand would be controlled atmosphere. And what that, what that uh, translates into is slowing the ripening process down for certain commodities, which will allow longer transits. Bananas is a common commodity that uh, takes advantage of controlled atmosphere technology avocados, and there's uh, some other commodities that will also lend to that type of um, application. 
So I think that's allowed carriers, shippers, and um, also buyers to really think about how they can go ahead and outsource from uh, a lot, uh, a bigger and broader array of sourcing um, type options. So I think that's going to continue to also be very common when carriers start to look for investments in the refrigerated container uh, areas. Talking about uh, produce specifically, I don't know if you've heard of any of these companies, but I'm in the, the business, of course, and so I'm always Googling what is happening, fruits, produce, all the above. And I always see you know, a small startup business in an underdeveloped country, somewhere completely different, and they're trying to slow down the ripening process of all their fruits and vegetables because they don't have the cold storage to keep things for as long as they would like to, <laughs> and it's an issue. And so I've seen some companies where they've built almost like a biodegradable skin to go over, I think it was mangoes that they were using at the time. And I find that so interesting, that sort of technology even feeding into this as well. And while I'm not sure that's something that we might necessarily have to use in the United States, I I think that also paves the way, of course, in other countries for this. Yeah, I I think there's going to be... an expansion in a lot of different technologies. I mean, I'm just mentioning a few, uh, certainly technology from attracting, tracing, monitoring, and remote uh, management of machinery. I think that's certainly a big benefit to um, produce successful outcomes and avoid um, failure and also claims. I think all of this ties into food waste mitigation, which is, again, another big priority for a lot of countries but also for a lot of shippers, um, just to go ahead and make sure that everyone is looking at that as a priority. And it's certainly one thing that everyone has on their mind. Um, so given given the um, focus on food waste mitigation, technologies will continue to go ahead and advance. I think we'll start to see some new technologies surface. And while the temperature controlled, humidity controlled, controlled atmosphere type technologies are certainly available today, I think we're going to see some advancement in other um, areas related to technology or applications of um, anything that will go ahead and mitigate food waste and failures uh, as an outcome. Absolutely. And I'd love to get a little bit more into C-Cubes technology. I know we have a a couple images of what C-Cubes look like, and we can talk Mm -hmm. a bit about that. So tell me what C-Cube has been working on and maybe their efforts towards mitigating food waste, um, decarbonization, all the above? Sure. Um, You know, we are uh, investing with an aim of making sure that we're doing our part to make sure we have sustainable products that are leased out to our customers. So we're looking at um, global warming potential refrigerants that have uh, certainly less impact on the environment. Um, CO2 is one refrigerant that we have used in some new investments with our refrigerated containers. Of course, that's the safest and that has the lowest impact on the environment. We're also looking at sustainable products tied into the reefer machinery that will allow us to go ahead and continue to do our part, um, making sure that we're looking at anything that has to do with recycling or also making sure that we're using products, materials, um, or raw materials for that matter, that are sustainable from a reusage standpoint. Um, so we're really focused on those particular areas. Um, and also tied to that would be the decarbonization um, you know, agenda items that our customers have. So for instance, 
When we look at new technology and investments, we really have an eye on the consumption, energy consumption, and how we can look at efficiency tied to the machinery that we're investing in. For example, if we look at variable speed motors and our compressors, two speed fan motors on our evaporators, and not to get too technical on the show, but those are just some examples that we're really trying to focus on to make sure we're doing our part to, uh, you know, offer some contribution of moving in the right direction towards sustainable product offerings that will help our customers and help ourselves in terms of being better stewards of our environment. I'm curious who you would say are your largest um, customers when it comes to the industry. Is it more fruits and, and vegetables, you know, produce? Is it more protein centered, something else in between? Mm-hmm. What would you say? The, the largest segment that we have in terms of our customer portfolio is the container uh, shipping operators. Uh, so all the large global operators certainly are um, a, a large segment of our customer portfolio. We also do a lot of business with our um, respective fruit uh, customers, and those are the growers and the operators that are tied into uh, fruit transport and also the fruit branding uh, customers as well. Um, and then we also have customers that are tied into um, um, those who are looking at alternative applications for our containers that might be an after-sell type product offering. For instance, when products get to the end of life cycle, we sell used containers. They can be used for portable cold chain storage. They can use uh, they can be used for storage applications and uh, construction and retail. So. We're starting to really expand our offering um, as we look forward in terms of how we can go ahead and get more um, extended life uh, from our container uh, usage and applications as we go forward. And can you talk to maybe the technology of the containers at all? I guess I'm I'm thinking the lifeline of the containers, maybe how long Mm -hmm. they are in service for when it comes to, you know, usage and whatnot. Sure. You know, the the phenomena that we're starting to experience is uh, as technology advances and as that accelerates, I think the replacement duration uh, is starting to compress. And I say that because I think operators and, and, and those customers that we are serving certainly want to um, take advantage of the recent technology. So in some cases, I think on the leasing side, some of the replacement durations are shortening. Um on the other hand, I think that the duration and also the extended life of a container can go upwards of 15 years or even more. But again, I think what we're finding is the conundrum of, do you go ahead and keep a container in, in circulation that has older technology to get an extended life out of that? Or do you take advantage of new technology where that will go ahead and offer or lend to some of the decarbonization targets, objectives? and goals that carriers or customers have. So we're seeing kind of both sides of this um, unfold. And what I do think that's, that is a result of this is some of the applications in the secondary markets, which is portable cold chain storage, um, certainly the storage on the dry container markets are starting to expand. And I think a lot of people have witnessed this with the usage of containers and various applications, whether it's homes, storage, um, other applications of storefronts, uh, portable pop-up type uh, retail outfits. So 
that is actually a good thing because we're seeing the extended life um, go into other applications, even if the front end of the application is shortening because of technology advancements. Absolutely. I know we touched on this a bit earlier, but I'm curious how you would say how important it is to monitor asset movements, of course, cargo trailer temperatures through these types of technologies. Yeah, one thing that is um, really starting to improve is because of the monitoring, because of the technology, because of the data and predictive analytics that we have available, given the technology advancements over the last few years, we have seen a sharp decline in claims and also failures. So that has proven to be a really great outcome, and the success will continue to probably uh, reveal itself as the technology continues to advance. So that's one area that we're, we're certainly um, very bullish on in terms of an investment strategy, in terms of the technology piece of the business. Um, at, the, at the same time, I think that you know, as we continue to go ahead and look at new technologies, we really have an eye on what the customers are going to need going forward. And that's not just for tomorrow, not even for the next five years. If there are decarbonization goals, targets, and emission-free type goals that uh, some carriers or customers have, those investments need to take place now to get to a 2030 or 2040 um, target date. So we're seeing a lot of advancement in investment um, being pulled forward relative to some of those goals and objectives. And the question always being, are we going to meet those goals? Is any company that we see making these statements going to meet those goals in the next 10, 20 years. We hope, of course. Which brings me to my next question, the decarbonization goals and sustainability. Why do you think that's such a big push right now for companies and and your clients? I mean, I think it's important, but why do you think they think it's so important? Well, I think, you know, just just like C-Cube has made the declaration that we want to do our, you know, our part to make sure the world is a better place. I think every carrier, and I think in some cases, some um, carriers or customers of ours are uh, certainly further along than others. But I think everyone is you know, sincerely committed to some of these goals. And I do think they're going to make uh, best efforts to go ahead and meet what they have already declared as decarbonization goals. Um, I think one challenge will be is the investment timeline for them to go ahead and meet these goals just because we will face a uh, very short runway as we get closer to 2030 and 2040 because of what you have to implement in terms of a fleet requirement or compliance ratio uh, before we hit these target dates. So, you know, the timing is certainly going to be a challenge. Um, The investment strategy has to be tied to pulling some of the investment forward uh, and trying to go ahead and refleet or at least plan for replacements earlier, like I mentioned in my previous comments. And um, that will be a challenge, but I don't think it's insurmountable. Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. I have one last question. Anything new for C-Cube coming up? Well, we continue to go ahead and look at alternative um, technologies on the refrigeration side. Again, uh, refrigerated container leasing is our niche. Uh, We're looking at anything from electric gen sets to end-to-end emission-free type uh, products that certainly are not available today, but we have an eye towards that. Um, The other thing we continue to look at is refrigerants. And because refrigerant leakage is also a big part of what people are trying to go ahead and address, um, anything from uh, a lower 
global warming potential refrigerant to even, I just recently looked at magnetic refrigeration technologies. And while we're not there yet, you know, some of these technologies are promising in terms of how we can get uh, cleaner refrigeration and also to uh, this emissions-free type uh, target ratio that we're all trying to go ahead and achieve. Amazing. Greg Tothill, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great, and I would appreciate checking back in with you sometime in the future about how C-Cube is doing. I would be delighted, and thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Now, as my listeners and guests know, I have Running on Ice, the newsletter, out tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Of course, you can find that at FreightWaves.com if you want to subscribe to it. I would love to have more subscribers, of course. Next week, it's Thanksgiving, so spend some time with your family. Eat a side of green bean casserole because no matter what our guys in production think or our market experts, green bean casserole is the best Thanksgiving side. I'm sorry to say it, not mashed potatoes, not dressing, not cheesy potatoes, none of that. Stay cool and have a happy holiday. Thank you.